Good evening and welcome to a new entry for the Morning Star Journal. This is Tariq and um, today uh, is of course a bonus episode that I talked about last um, last time because I wanted to continue my talk on the Codex Illyria book. And today I do want to go over book four, Captain's Fury, uh, mainly because I feel like um, not saying that this was an end because of course there's two books later, but it definitely, um, was a turning point in the series, I think, because a lot of things started coming to light and it was really kind of like the, even though a lot of crazy stuff happens in the book, it's kind of the calm before the major storm of the last two books, uh, because the last two books, in my opinion, definitely have to be read together um it's kind of like the last uh two seasons of a series or maybe even the last two episodes on a certain degree because the fifth book is definitely a penultimate and then the sixth book has a lot of final battles and then of course the resolution but a lot of uh, i mean even though the the seeds are started within the first few books and even in this one um the major uh, points are really in the fifth and sixth. And I'm not too sure when I'm going to get those two because I definitely have a few things that I want to kind of do episodes on before that. So I want to at least get the fourth one. And while it was still a little bit fresh in my mind because it has been a while since I've read them, I wanted to talk about them. So this may be short. I'm not sure. I'm not going to go over what happened in the last three books. Uh, Definitely look at my previous episode, um, The Cursor's Fury, which was um, put out last uh, Saturday, this past Saturday. And I kind of go over the first two books plus the third one. So we're going to jump right into the fourth one. Again, um, I will say there will be spoilers because I'm going to go over not only just the plot of this book, but I'm also going to talk about uh, little things in the middle, like in the midst of the book and revelations that happen and kind of story points I thought that were really cool. So um, Captain's Fury, which is written by Jim Butcher who um, a lot of people may know from his Dresden series. That's his real popular one, and that's gone. That's almost at book, if I'm not mistaken, either uh, 15 or 16 so far. Um, I'll have to double-check, and Dresden is definitely one that I'm going to have to... I really want to reread, but there's actually another... Um, <laughs> Uh, to kind of put it on blast, there's another podcast I sometimes listen to uh, on the Dresden Files, and they've actually covered the Codex at one point, but um, they're actually really good, and they're actually rereading the previous books to gear up for the new book, Peace Talks, which should be coming out very soon, so I'll be very happy when that one comes out. But I'm just going to read the back of... This book, so in the part of the back, it does give a little bit brief of the beginning of it. So I'm going to read that part as well. So let's see. There we go. After two years of bitter conflict with the hordes of invading Canaan warriors, Tavi of Calderon, now captain of the first Alaran Legion, realizes that a peril far greater than the Canaan exists, the mysterious threat that drove the savage Canaan to flee their homeland. 
Tavi per, uh, proposes attempting an alliance with the Canaan against their common foe, but his warnings go unheeded. For the Senate's newly appointed military commander has long desired to wipe out the Canaan scourge and their slave allies. Now, Tavi must find a way to overcome centuries-old animosity if an alliance is to be forged, and he must lead his legion in defiance of the law against friend and foe, or none will have a chance to survive. It's actually a chance of survival, and I kind of changed chance to survive. Kind of weird how the brain works on that end. But anyway... So first off, I'm going to kind of go over pretty much what happens in this book. So I want to make an minimum. Uh, when I talked about it last time, I talked about uh, during the first book, Gaius talked to his advisor, Marcus, and I was wrong. It's actually Miles. Now, Marcus is actually an advisor of Tavi. So a brief thing has happened. And during the, in, in the beginning of this book, he's at, Tavi is now leading uh, his legion. He's going by the name of Scipio. That was the alias that was given to him. And uh, one of his advice, and of course, uh, Maximus, one of his old friends, is still an advisor for him. He also has Kitia uh, near him. And she commands a small merit force that, um, that also helps out. And... Uh, Marcus, there is a there is a person called Marcus who's an old vet that's on the um, legion that Tavi commands, and he's kind of this advisor. Now, I believe it is in the end of the third one. You find out that Marcus is actually Vendelius, the same uh, a spy who initially helped a Quentin in the first two books and doesn't like the first Lord. He's actually pretending to be Marcus because during the event in the third book, Tavi actually saves his life. He puts his own life on the line to save him during the Canaan attack and Tavi's um, prowess during it and his ingenuity and his leadership skills Fidelius figures out the same thing. Gaius figures out that Tavi is the um, old his the old precept Septimus his son, aka the Gaius's grandson, and when he finds this out, it kind of gives Fidelius a new light, a new hope, because uh, Fidelius. Um, a lot of the turmoil in this series happened after Septimus died. So Fidelius was one of those people that after his death, because he saw you couldn't protect your own son. So how are you going to protect the realm? And that actually comes into play a little bit here. So getting back to what's happening here is that um, Tavi has continued his, not assault, but at least his attempts to hold back the Canaan. Now, Tavi also notices that not only does he fight in the warriors and sorcerers, but he starts noticing that there's um, families with the Canaan. There's women and children, uh, and there's children, and there's the old. And he's noticing that they didn't bring just warriors. They actually brought a lot of people, so they were running from something. And he starts to, and uh, kind of like the back of the book, he already, he's, he, he's already understanding what they ran with because he knows who ran, who was smuggled away 
um, previously. So he knows that out there in the whole kingdom of the whole world, the Vord Queen is out there um, attempting to basically amass, amass forces. And she must have done something because it's made a lot of the kingdom flee. Um, not only that, the Canaan have started in the areas that they're taking over, they're uh, freeing, the sla- freeing the slaves in those areas, and those slaves are actually working for the Canaan, because they're like, you know, well, we were imprisoned, um, we were treated poorly by our fellow, you know, Alarians, we might as well team up with Canaan, and Canaan's like, sure, you know, we can use you, I mean, you know, we'll give you, you know, these areas and lands for yourself as long as you help us against them, and they pretty much agreed. So Tavi doesn't want to not only fight these people that are only fleeing from a worse force, but also fighting, you know, pretty much his own people. And he wants to try to find a resolution because he sees the long run that in the end, there's a bigger fight that's going to happen. Now, while he's trying to kind of explain to the bigger captains, he's having a lot of pushback from the Senate. Especially, um, I believe, a center called Arnos, who is the kind of command, you know, the the main commander of the region, who wants to just snuff out the kingdom. And as far as the slaves, well, they threw in their lot, so kill them too. Um, and Tavi's trying to explain it. No, a peaceful resolution because we can work this out if we figure it out. But Arnos is strictly, you know, no, you have to kill him. Um, so Tavi is kind of painting this. Um, target on him because a lot of his men agree with Tavi because they've seen what he does. This isn't just some guy that's preaching about peace. This is somebody who's in the thick of things, who's saved their lives, who's working for the betterment of people who are pretty much out the ground level. So he's getting this um, bigger following and um, Arnos and there's a, a couple of other uh, sinners who are afraid of the following that he's gaining. Now, um, on top of this that's happening here, Gaius decides that he's going to take the fight to um, Kalar because uh, Kalar in the previous book, they attempted a kind of uh, attack on one of the cities um, when uh, Bernard, Tavi's uh, uncle, and Amara, an ex-cursor, when they uh, went to save it, they actually ended up hurting the High Lord there, and a lot of his forces were pulled back. So um, Gaius tells Bernard, "Look, um, he's planning on unleashing um, a, a deadly fury on the land, and I have to be there." to stop it. So I want you to help me. And he actually also gets Amara. I need you to help me get in there, but we're going to go undercover in a sense. So we're, you know, only going to travel with a small battalion, only a certain step of the way. And then the rest of the way is pretty much through swamp land. And we're going to have to go undercover. So they have that mission that's going on. Um, meanwhile, Tavi decides, you know, during all these things that he's, he's got to give the Canaan a reason to kind of halt or at least to negotiate. And he does talk with Nasog and he's like, well, you still have a prisoner, you know, so how much can we talk? He's like, okay, well, what if I brought him here? Then maybe we'll listen. So Tavi and his small band, Kitia, um, I think Aaron at this point joins back up with him and uh, decide 
And okay, and um, Asana, who's also there, they decide to, well, he decides to take a small group. They're going to go back to the capital and they're actually going to rescue Varg, the kingdom ambassador that was in prison back in the first book. And they're going to rescue him from the prison. Um, that, of course, goes uh, splendidly bad in a lot of places. But they do end up getting him out and getting him to the Sog, which does convince him at least to, you know, halt his forces for the most part. Unfortunately, when Tyree does get back and he is able to get um, Varg out, uh, he's confronted by the... Uh, um, the senator Arnos about his uh, about his activities, and he's branded a traitor. Um, at this point, Tavi really feels that you know he has to take the reins, basically, of this fight, and uh, he decide. And at at a point, he decides that he's going to enact uh, what's called, I believe, a juris macto, which is kind of a trial by combat, basically. Um, now, this was also, this, Adjust Makto was mentioned a lot of times. Usually, um, High Lords always um, challenged, you know, did this kind of trauma combat whenever conflicts arise, you know, they would challenge each other. And usually it was just, you know, till the other one's knocked out. But of course, this guy wants to go to the death. Um, but of course, the center uses a champion. Um, I forgot the character's name, but really doesn't matter too much because she only appears here. I think she may have been mentioned in a previous um, a previous story, but she's made, she's a you know capable warrior that they show up in this book. And well, spoiler alert: she doesn't make it past this book. Um, anyway, uh, Tavi has to prepare for this while um, he prepares for the fight. Now, um, going back to Gaius and Bernard, they do end up um, a long trek. They, Gaius gets terribly sick. He's almost dying to a point. Um, Bernard's kind of, you know, is like, well, he commanded me to get this far. Amara's like, you know, he is High Lord, but we need to leave. But they decide to push on, and they do push on into the main force, Kalar, um, once they get there, finds out that instead of just stopping Major Fury, Gaius actually decides to detonate one. So basically he goes to one of the mountains and causes a volcano that pretty much destroys most of the land. And... Um, and killing like uh, legions and also just most of the populace there. And it almost just destroys Amara at this point because she can't believe that she basically, uh, guys never told her his activities and he pretty much made her a um, accessory to this mass murder in a sense. And guys is like, well, this is the way I had to take out you know as many as they can this is to help the realm and stuff and she's pretty much having none of it and she quits right then and there she's like i'm no longer this you know kurt you know you no longer you know you no longer command me i'm out and you know you can do what you want with that um and they do eventually kind of get them back now back with 
Tavi. He's preparing for this. And uh, like I said in the last book, he found out that he was that he has abilities of furies, and he does have multiple access to different furies. So he's been training a little bit here and there, and you act and he actually um, lets both Fade, who we'll talk about after um, his real identity, and Asana. Um, they find out that he can use Furies and Asana tells him the truth on why he can't. Uh, one of the truths that he found, that she tells him is, and he actually, he kind of suspected. And of course this shows that Kidia already kind of knew just seeing how, you know, they were together. She kind of like figured it out way before he did, but Asana is actually his mother. Um, basically what had happened was, um, Asana and her sister were with the, um, Legion camp that the, the old Prince Septimus was a part of and Septimus and Asana fell in love with each other. And they even at a point, it was kind of a secret ceremony um, only with his his personal guards and Asana's sister, they did get married and she was pregnant. But during the merit attack, um, but there and then but then there was a merit attack basically, and the prince told um, his trusted advisor, uh, trusted um, soldier, Araris, to protect Asana at all costs. And Ross at first he was like, "No, I'm your I'm your personal guard. I'm your you know secret service. You know I have to be by you at all times." And he was like, "No, you have to protect her and my son." And Fade, or sorry, Araris <laughs> kind of spoiled it there. Araris takes Asana and the sister and tries to get them away from the battle, but during the course of them getting away. Um, Asana's sister gets hurt, mortally hurt and they are able to escape but she dies soon after and Aurora, uh, sorry, no she uh, as they're, um, she's mortally wounded but then Asana has to start giving birth and they're, they're able to find this cave where they're able to deliver Asana's child Tavi, but in the process, they didn't have time to get Asana's sister help, and she dies, unfortunately. Um, to protect him, from protect Tavi from, you know, the, 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 the craziness, basically, that would happen knowing that the First Lord's uh, grandson is still alive, they went back to her homeland, which was Calderon Valley. Basically, she lies to Bernard, saying that you know, our sis. This was our sister's child, um, and just kind of gave her this excuse that you know she fell in love with a soldier, and you know this is a child he had. And Araris, as you kind of heard me kind of uh, slip earlier, basically scars himself to basically appear as he's a coward, and now goes by the name Fade, and um, and he continued to protect Tavi, you know, up until now. Now, um, to help to, well, to hide Tavi, what Asana decided to do is use her watercrafting to basically um, stunt or stop his ability 
to access fury so every time she drew a bath for him as a as a child and a little bit when he you know grew up a little bit a little bit more than that um each time she drew a bath she used her abilities to stunt his ability to access furies that also kind of had the after effect of stunting his growth a little bit as well so that's why he started scrawny but as he had so much time away from her and away from and she started doing it at first it was something conscious but then it became just subconscious that she would you know continually do that anytime she drew water drew a bath for him and basically when he started going to the university and started being away from her for a long time the effects no longer lasted and he was able to grow and eventually his furies came so of course he was there's part of him that was upset it, there's a part of Tavi that he's he's smart enough to understand why she did it and how much trouble it was caused especially when um, she also says that even though there was a merit attack, merits weren't the ones that killed the prince. He was attacked by other people with furies. Now, like I said before, except for Kitty, as she's a very um, a, a, an exception of merits being able to use um, furies. No one else can use furies except for fellow Larens, and for them to take out the prince needed to be high lords at best. So she always suspected that there were other High Lords that actually orchestrated the attack and helped kill the prince. Um, so like I said, that's why she kind of uh, fled to Cauldron Valley because there was no one, you know, she didn't know who she can truly trust. And if the king allowed this, and the prince was very outspoken about um, kind of uh, dissolving slavery and a lot of changes that would have, you know, been very looked at as very bad for the Senate. These are things that he wanted to do. And yet, you know, the first Lord, you know, put him in this um, legion, sent him out middle of like nowhere. And this is where he was attacked. So, you know, she felt a very, you know, harshness towards Gaius, but also that's uh, throughout the book. She feels this harshness to Amara. But anyway, Tavi kind of, you know, has a few moments where he's upset with his mom because, or to find out that his aunt that he believed for so long is actually his mom for one. And then on top of that, she caused him not to be able to do the thing that everyone else could, which gave him this little complex of trying to, you know, be better and feeling like he wasn't um, whole. Uh, but, you know, eventually he does try to get past it best he can, um, especially when um, Arnus decides to hold his mom uh, hostage until he does the trial by combat. So eventually it comes and he does have the trial and everyone's there, not only just Arnos, his uh, followers and his legion, Tavi's legion, even uh, they kind of do this in the, um, in the ruins of a recent battle. So you've got the Canaan and their side also there. Um, at this point, Bernard and Amara have come back from their mission. They're there. And at that point, Tavi announces to everyone, you know, hey, my name isn't really um, Scipio. Um, 
it's actually, um, I'm actually Tavi from uh, Calderon, but not only that, I'm at, my real name is, and if I can find it, I'll see if I can quickly, but if I can't, I remember a little bit from head, we're going really close. Can you win? So it'll be just a few more. I definitely apologize about this. Oh, Navaris is the um, warrior that he has to fight. So that's the um, soldier that he has to try to combat. And I'm only going to definitely apologize about this. I think I'm getting there, Highness. They're here. Eh, anyway, I'm done. Okay, so anyway... Um, he pretty much comes out and says, you know, my, my real name is Gaius Octavius. I'm the son of, uh, Septimus, uh, Gaius Septimus, who was the priest, the previous precepts, who is the son of the first Lord Gaius Sectus. And he announces this to everyone and also announces Asana was, um, the wife of Septimus and she displays the ring of Septimus to show that you know, proof that they were married and you know this was the proof that yeah she was married so he is the rightful heir and um, Arnus of course is like kind of gone ballistic at this point you know saying oh it's a lies or whatever and they start the child combat and Tavi actually holds his own and is able to beat him um, uh, beat her, sorry, and he finished, and he manages to finish her off and kill her, and, um, wins a trial. Arnos, at this point, is frantic because he's lost all leverage, and Tavi also, like, he says, like, you know, it's my command, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm ordering a complete ceasefire, we're gonna be talking with the kingdom, we're gonna be figuring this out, uh, he doesn't really say it at that point, but he's like, you know, we've got bigger problems to to handle so you know, we all need to chill for a minute and at this point Arnos had actually um uh before this actually happened Arnos attempted to instruct Fendelius who to actually help him and Nvidia a Quentin's wife to they were going to orchestrate uh Tavi's death and he actually got, uh, Fidelius actually got a crossbow, one of the crossbows that the Canem used because they were going to blame it on them. And he was kind of in position, but he saw what Tavi did. He remembered how he saved him. He looked at this guy and was like, no, this is, this is what I really wanted. I only, tr- I only joined a Quentin to get a, a strong leader to the throne and this not not only a kid, not longer a kid. This um, man now, 
he's the one. He's the one that's going to help um, strengthen us. And he's got the resolve. He's got the abilities. He's got the ingenuity. He knows when he's right and when to kind of go for it. But he also knows, you know, when he needs to kind of step back and ask help. And he decides not to attack Tavi. But instead, as Arnos is trying to flee, um, he actually shoots the crossbow and kills Arnos. So, um, everyone, but no one sees Sunelius do it. So everyone thinks that, um, Akana must have, because of Arnos's, um, previous kind of rants on trying to kill him, they figured that, you know, a crossbow may have gone off and killed Arnos and, you know, don't really cared much, but in the process of killing Arnos, he actually ended up hit, and this was this was definitely on purpose. It ends up because Arnos uh, flees and goes to Nvidia, who's in disguise. Um, but Arnos only knows that, and uh, when Fendelia shoots the crossbow, it hits both of them. So from the crowd, it looks like Arnos had just ran up to this random woman out of nowhere, and then a crossbow hole killed them both. Um, later when they were exam when they got the bodies to the tent, um, her body actually mysteriously disappears and that will actually come in later in the next book. So when it ends, um, he finally kind of comes out to Gaius and kind of tell, you know, and him and Gaius talk. Uh, sorry, uh, Sectus, the first Lord and Tavi finally talk. He's like, you know, that was a bold move what you did. He was like, yeah, but, you know, it had to be done. It had to get out. It's like, well, that's why I had to do what I did with Kilar. Because um, the, the mountain and the volcano you let off, at least the ash and everything could be seen from even where Tavi and them were. And... He's like, why? You know, why'd you even do that? It's because Kalar was one of the ones that, that killed my son. Apparently, Kalar and a couple of other High Lords that had been um, either killed or taken out um, beforehand, they actually were part of the group of High Lords that killed um, or that, that tried to, or I'm sorry, not tried, they orchestrated the attack, the narrative attack, and helped kill their son killed his son and he wanted to take him out because he wanted to make he wanted to make sure that his grandson was safe and Tavi decides that you know there's still a lot of work to do here but I know I'm not going to be safe and I'm still learning how to use my furies so what Tavi decides is I'm actually going to go I'm going to make sure that the kingdom we need to give them this land and then I'm going to go over there and get as many of them out because there's a Vord force over on that other side that's just gaining strength. And we need to uh, try to, we need to see if we can either put a stop to them or at least see what they have before it gets worse. And, got, and um, the First Lord agrees and says, okay, well, you know, I trust you this far, so you do what you have to do. And that's where pretty much the book ends with uh, Tavi preparing to uh, go to the Canaan world, uh, sorry, uh, continent, to see what he can do to either rescue those people or, um, you know, get out, get out. And other than that, only other thing happens both um, 
Uh, Amara and Bernard, of course, retired back to Calderon Valley where she, you know, she basically agrees to be his countess and they, you know, rule over the valley together because he's still, Bernard has even, even now has still been building up because he knows of the Vord attack. He knows the Vord attack because he's seen firsthand. And of course he agrees with Tavi. So Tavi's been kind of, you know, helping him out with supplies and Asana has been helping out too, where they're building like this kind of almost base or major fort called on Valley that we're going to see in the later books. And Auroras, who now no longer going by Fade because his identity uh, comes out through his actions. And he meets up with um, Miles, the uh, Gaius's captain. Miles was actually also one of um, uh, the Precept's uh, bodyguards. And he notices Fade all the way back in the second book. And he wasn't sure, but he finally, you know, figured out who he was. And... And they kind of have a moment where... Because for a long time, he... Fade felt that he had betrayed um, the prince... And, you know, for not being there because he felt, you know, if he had been there, he may have been able to get him out or had protected him. And then also over the years he's been with Asana, he's actually fallen for her and she's been falling for him. But again, that guilt that he left his king kind of prevent him from going any further with it. But now since they're kind of, you know, outed, they can kind they can kind of see where it can go but at the same time she does understand that you know she has to be seen as this widow to the prince and can't be you know fleeing with just anybody so they still have a little bit of kind of pr bs that they have to worry about but at least not as much because fate has um, or Auroras has basically come back and Asana is recognized as this, you know, um, I think queen regent in a sense. So that's book four of Captain uh, Captain's Fury. And like I said, it's really cool and I've really enjoyed um, just the story structure, just um, how things are revealed throughout the book that haul back to other things. And I think in, in the end, this this whole series does a great job in kind of giving you little things or you know kind of hinting at past events but just enough that you know it's kind of like oh I heard it from this person heard it from this person but it was never really the truth so when a different revelation comes up you're like oh so that kind of clears up what we heard before or what we you know read about this is kind of like the the details that we're missing and even though you can kind of see it, you know, you can kind of see a lot of these things coming a mile away as far as, um, you know, Tavi being able to use Furies and him being the prince. I mean, you know, that just goes with this type of story. But I think they did, I think, you know, um, Jim Butcher did a really cool job at, you know, um, kind of slowly revealing it and also the character slowly understanding little bits and pieces and then starting to put together um, 
one of the things I thought was cool in, during the book was that, so Tavi is learning that he has these furies and he's been practicing, but also Kitia has also been practicing. And there's many moments where he'll kind of send her on this mission and she'll use furies on her own and, you know, no one realizes it. And um, she's even more adept at certain furies than he is. And it kind of frustrates him a little bit, but, you know, they she's very playful with it a lot of times. And it is kind of cool because she keeps it pretty much on the down low until Asana notices it. Because um, I think uh, Earthcrafting is one that can, um, can be used to one of, like, the... Um, after things of Earthcraft is it can manipulate emotions to a certain extent and, or certain emotions and at one point when Kitty is talking with Asana she realizes that she's Earthcrafting her and when Asana figures it out she's like surprised and shocked that she's able to do it and just do it easily too um, and they're very playful with uh, that when she, when Asana tries to say, okay, you know, I know about you and Tavi, uh, Kitia thinks it's just because, oh, so, you know, we've been sleeping together. We've been going out with each other. And, oh, no, she does about the, yeah, things about that that she thinks that Asana knows, but Kitia thinks it's about the crafted part <laughs> that she's that she's aware of and that she's kind of like, doesn't want to talk about it and the song's like no i didn't know you could do wait <laughs> and it's it's just funny the misunderstandings they have together um asana also shows that she's a lot more powerful than a lot of people gave her credit for because there's a scene where um they're traveling and i think this is the part where they're traveling to the capital uh to get varg and they're on the ship uh, captained by this kind of smuggler pirate which is kind of cool his fury is uh, one of the furies that he commands as wood and it's actually the ship itself because he's able to command like planks and like different things to like move and there's a scene where Tavi kind of gets a little bit ahead of himself and tries to confront the captain on something and the entire and he's in the captain's room and like the floor kind of like swallows him in a sense or like swallows like most of his legs and like another plank comes out and like kind of takes his arm he kind of pins his arm down and he's like remember that when you're on the ship I'm the first lord here and Tyra's like, oh, yeah, cool, man. I was just, you know, I was just excited. But, you know, hey, we're so cool, right? And De I think it's Deimos who's the captain. He's like, yeah, we're cool. But you better start understanding your place on this boat. But it kind of shows that he's pretty badass. But anyway, during the voyage, um, Arnos, the senator who's been given trouble, actually sends his goons on another ship to try to intercept them. And Asana shows, like, crazy water control while in the ocean. And to a degree where, like, no one, like, everyone's surprised that she's able to, like, navigate through the water. Because they, they actually navigate between the ships quickly um, underwater. And there's a point where they... They're kind of like tethered in a sense so that they don't get lost and the tether breaks and she's able to basically control herself to 
um, get her and Tabby back on, and they can't believe the kind of control she has. Um, also, she's able to kind of like tap into she she gets overwhelmed at one point because she sees the entire ocean. So um, definitely get a more like if you're a DC Comics fan, like they kind of put her up to like Mira in a sense, where she has like this big she she can do watercrafting but she has potential to command a lot more than just basic watercrafting and that definitely plays into the fifth book and I'll kind of give a little bit of a teaser here where she actually initiates a uh, Joris Mocto against a trained veteran and really gives him a run for his money and it is it is a, an amazing like the way you describe the fight is actually pretty cool and it's something I would love to see but um um uh, Auroras or Fade he uh throughout this book of course and actually I think back in the third book when he finally meets back up with um cause he's not with Tavi during the third book but in the fourth one he is with him and um fade had already figured out that tavi knew what he knew um they they have a conversation he's like okay you know what do you what can you tell me about uh i think tavi asked him something like okay what can you tell me about um you know he kind of what can you tell me about a son and my aunt whatever and he note and Fade also notices he's earthcrafting here and there, and he's like, you know what? Let's skip the games. I know you can do this. How long have you been able to do this? About five years. He's like, sounds about right. Why don't you just tell me what you know, and I'll just fill in the blanks. And they just and they kind of have a straightforward conversation. Like, yeah, she's yep. You figured it out. She's your mom, um, but you need to talk with her because. Uh, you know, it was, she was trying to do it to protect you. And that's kind of like in the middle of the book where he kind of tells him, hey, yeah, you know, I'm not going to, you know, BS you at this point. Because up until then, he kind of portrayed himself as this kind of, uh, you know, dumb, slow servant in a sense. But Tabby kind of felt, oh, you know, you're more than what you seem. And then a little bit later, Faye pretty much like drops all pretense. And he's like, yeah, okay, you figured out who I am and you're getting to a point of you're getting to an age where uh keeping you in the dark hurts you more than when we were keeping the truth from you so let's just kind of you know hash it out and you know the truth is going to help you more than trying to trick you at this point um and of course um you know and tavi is starting to build his own like um it's funny because um, a lot of things are repeating themselves because Septimus had, you know, this core group of people that you find out were, you know, different High Lords and stuff that were his friends. And Tavi is starting to build that group as well. Um, you've got Maximus, uh, his brother Crassus. Now, Maximus, of course, knew the whole Scipio-Tavi thing, so that wasn't a surprise. Crassus was a little bit surprised, but at the same time, he lied about his identity but he was still in the fights with them. He was still, you know, at ground zero. He was still, you know, giving commands and helping people out and saving people. So, you know, and it was kind of one of those things where I'm upset you lied who you were, but that doesn't 
knock your character, basically. So, you know, I'll let it slide this time, but no more lies. Um, which, unfortunately, does... <sighs> a little bit of a spoiler. There is something that happens later that, at least in the sixth book, that does come back. And, well, it's the sixth book, so it's kind of one of those things where it ends and you really don't know where it goes. But it's kind of one of those minor things that kind of hope that... Maybe it got resolved somewhere in the future, but anyway. Um, another thing that I thought was cool was that because of his connection with Kidia and the fact that they were sleeping together and she had command of Furies, he really treats her as an equal to the point where she's there in mission briefings. She doesn't give commands, but she is like one of his commanders. And at least his circle... Um, or whenever he's in command it, no one questions her being there, nor do they question whenever he gives assignments to her to have her do certain things or she take a little force. And she actually becomes this kind of like almost drill sergeant in some cases where she's helping train other um, soldiers, other um, Alarans, um, to which case, and, and sometimes she challenges him. She's like, well, I see you have all these guys. There's like a couple of women around, you know, here that can easily act as, you know, your uh, medics and excess soldiers, things like that. And, you know, they have to get over their um, kind of bias at first, but she kind of um, helps them along too, where she brings like a lot of these, when she was um, in the third book, in the first part of the third book, where she is kind of um she stays kind of in the background as one of the uh camp followers basically um she got to know a lot of the different people and women there and found out that a lot of them were very capable crafters and when they started you know losing men especially like i said like their medics or quartermasters and things like that she's able to kind of you know advise him to fill in those ranks and um and then other than the initial bias, he never really questions her. And it really shows, like, it's pretty cool how well, how much he holds her, you know, in esteem. And they're becoming this uh, team and partner. And they kind of go through a little bit of a rocky moment in, I believe, the beginning of the sixth book. But it's kind of, like, understandable. Like, at least... From her point of view, she kind of like, there's a little bit, there's a, there's something that upsets her and you kind of get why she's upset by it. And, um, and it's funny again, and everyone else also gets it except for Tavi. So it kind of shows that as smart as he is, eh, not that smart, especially when it comes to women. But then again, most guys are like that, me included. So, um, what can you do other than kind of, a smile, nod, and try to learn the best you can. But um, other than that, um, and there's also a pretty cool uh, sequence when they're trying to break uh, Varg out of the prison because back in the second book, uh, Max, Maximus is actually held up at the prison. So Tavi has to go in and try to break him out. And unfortunately, Tavi being the kind of guy he is, he does it in secret so that no one knows it was him that got him out. And I think it was, I can't remember the reason, I think he was in disguise anyway when Maxis was in there. So no one knew about it. 
Yeah, something like that. And um, so no one knew that it was Maxis. No one knew it was Tavi breaking in. But because there was a break-in, Tavi decided to give them uh, basically ways to stop anyone from doing that. So now he has to, like, counter his countermeasures to prevent what he's about to do. So it's kind of funny him figuring out ways around the things that to prevent other people from doing exactly what he did and what he's about to do. So that was, uh, that was pretty funny as well. Also, Aaron kind of comes back more to help him. So we get to see, uh, more of Aaron and his personality and Aaron's become, uh, what I would say like a more, um, covert spy. Like he does more undercover work. Um, He's able to kind of slip in and out of places. He also uh, prefers to use things like daggers and even in some cases poisons. And that will come into play a little bit later where Aaron is kind of made into like, you know, he helps different people even though in the end he's kind of helping Tavi, but he, he seems like he's kind of like this double agent in a sense. And it's kind of cool what they do with him. Um, other than that, I can't think of anything else. I really like the series. I really recommend it. Um, I recommend it to a coworker and he read through like almost the entire series within a week, but he reads a lot of books fast. Um, I've always liked it. I've actually reread it several times. Um, I'll probably be rereading it soon when I finish with all the other books I'm reading because it's just a lot of fun just to jump back into and um, and I always enjoy like reading not only just the revelations but also like how different characters react to each other and then seeing like because at certain points um, when you find out the full truth of everything um, in some of the earlier books when they meet it's kind of wondering like how much do they know about this other person um because especially when it comes to nvidia that i mentioned earlier that got hurt supposedly she got killed because uh, she got the crossword bolt through her body wasn't found there's points where she um in the second book where she meets and talks with asana uh, on multiple occasions and Asana's a little bit trepidation from her, and you think it's only because of what happened in the first book, but there's maybe a cause that it was something a little bit further back, because um, another thing that you find out a little bit later, and I'll kind of spoil this a little bit, NVIDIA was, prom- was originally promised to Septimus, the prince, like way back when the uh, prince was, you know, kind of, they were trying to orchestrate a bride and, you know, they're trying to get the best for, you know, the, the high lord, you know, the what high lady in this case, that'd be best for him. NVIDIA was the choice, the top choice. And uh, the prince decided to go with his heart and go with Asana. So when she's with NVIDIA and then when you reread it, you're kind of like, so because at this point, Tavi, you don't know, they don't know who Tavi is at that point. But at the same time, Asana knows a lot about, because she was with the prince on a lot of his, um, you know, talks and things like that. And again, 
her with the prince mirrors what's happening with Kitya and Tavi in a sense. But you kind of see that, um, you know, she knew a lot about the people that, you know, he, because the prince knew that there were certain people that he couldn't trust. And um, he knew what it would mean to NVIDIA when he tells her that he doesn't love her and he'll be marrying somebody else. Um, so she knew a lot. So she knew a lot about the people that, um, were out to get him. So it kind of adds a little bit more tension when you read, when you reread that part to realize this is a, you know, she's sitting next, she's talking to a woman that could have, that if she knew she was the quote unquote, if, if NVIDIA knew Asana was the, in a sense, mistress that took her potential man, um, that changes uh, her demeanor and her conversation with her, like, totally. And that does come up in the later books when um, when NVIDIA kind of finds out who... Uh, well, at that point, she knows who Tavi is because he made the announcement. But when she realizes who Asana really is, because at this point, of course, most people think that Asana is just... Um, or at least just before the fifth book, uh, fourth book, in the fourth book, most people just think if they know Asana, they just know her as Tavi's uh, aunt. And this proves that this, or this kind of shows that no, she's actually his mother and wife of the prince. Um, and there's also, there was also, um, and you also find out there's certain um, allies of the prince that don't take kindly to Asana because it's like you hid yourself and now you're coming in with this child that you're going to say is a prince, you know, you're just playing games just like Sectus. And like I said, that all comes into play in the fifth book. Um, so again, I want to thank you. Thank anyone who, and everyone who listens to the podcast. Um, I really appreciate it giving me this chance to talk about books and movies and TV shows and games and um, and sometimes being able to play and just do all the things that I love and gives me this outlet to um, show you. If you want to talk about this series or maybe you want to talk about something else Jim Butcher ever um, just something else Jim Butcher wrote or maybe even just talk about any other books or you have uh, suggestions for me by all means leave me uh, you can leave me a comment in um, Anchor and do voice message you can also send me a message either through Gmail um, you can find me the Morning Star Journal all spelled out um, the Morning Star Journal at gmail.com you can also find me on Twitter at um, at Morningstar Journal. Journal is actually spelled J R N L. So at M O R N I N G S T A R J R N L. And you can also find me on Instagram, Morningstar Journal, as well as on fa- my Facebook page. Uh, you can always leave me a message anytime, and I gladly hear you know what you think. But again, thank you for your time. Um, I definitely recommend going out. If you have a chance, read these books. They're a lot of fun. They're great. And I will um, speak to y'all later. Peace.